Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you making the journey. I know I'm a long ways out and that's okay. You know, so it's a beautiful spot. So I want to hear, first of all, how things are going with uh, solo suit. Yeah. I looked on your website and I can't remember the number, but you, you said that you had served or helped how many different people at this point? Uh, We've helped like a hundred something thousand people. Uh, respond to $980 million in debt lawsuits. That's amazing. So coming up on a billion any day now. Is that how many people who have actually used, individual people who have used your site and service? Uh, you know, we're somewhat generous on it. We, we screen out a lot of like bogus uh, inputs on like how much money the lawsuit is. You know, like a few people have gone in and typed in like my lawsuit is $1 million, right? Just yeah. turn out the service. So we screen out a lot of that. Uh, but it's mostly like people that have generated documents on our on our site and input real lawsuit amounts. And we just, uh, uh, you know, sum that up and that's the number. Nice. Nice. For just to refresh me as well as anybody else who might be listening, what exactly does SoloSuit do? Yeah. If so, you could just sum it up. For sure. Yeah, so SoloSuit helps people respond to debt lawsuits. Uh, we've recently kind of expanded. Now we say solo suit helps people resolve debt. Usually what happens is someone gets sued for a debt. They come to us to respond. Uh, and then we also help them settle the lawsuit. Got it. So is that, is that like a, a huge, obviously you've had a ton of people who have come through and, and used your service or at least inquired about your service. It's probably a huge problem then in the U.S. right now, which is people are getting hit up for these lawsuits all the time? Yeah, it's a huge problem um, in probably like surprising ways, honestly. Uh, so general number I take is about 10 million people get sued for debt every year in the U.S. It's usually like 10 million new people, uh, new lawsuits. Um, what's actually happened lately, it's, it's really hard to calculate that exact number. It's just an estimate because no one has access to all of the state court uh, data across the U.S. It's just not available. Um, but lately, since 2020, uh, lawsuits have actually dipped way down, very low, very oh, low really? number of lawsuits since 2020. Why? Uh, so historically, for like the last two decades, the lawsuit, like the lawsuit trend line, has pretty much mirrored the uh, consumer household aggregate debt trend line uh, like the graphs look pretty much the same um, but uh, in 2020 they totally diverged uh, because uh, nobody knows for sure but my take is that uh, government spending stimulus spending increased that increased the liquidity of consumers in the US and the consumers could then pay down their debt without being sued for it. Uh, so the collection companies, according to like the 10Ks of some of the biggest collectors in the U.S., like Encore Capital, uh, they say that uh, the liquidity of consumers increased, so they haven't had to sue them to collect debt. But at the same time, these consumers weren't like paying off their debt. They were yeah. like eliminating the debt. They were just making payments on their debt. Uh, while increasing their actual uh, debt amount. Just kicking right. the ball down the road. Right, right. Because as we've seen, consumer household debt has uh, skyrocketed to heights higher than in 2008. Is this mostly collection companies that are filing these lawsuits? Is that primarily it? Or is it is it individual companies or individuals also filing those lawsuits? Yeah. Am I good on the mic? Do I have to like worry about it at all? You're good. I think that's great. I'm good over here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It should, it should catch you. As long as you're like aimed. Yeah, that sounds, that yeah. sounds good. Um, it's mostly uh, what we call debt buyers. So usually, like how things go in theory is someone gets, like, let's say they get a $10,000 credit card debt with Discover, on like a Discover Bank credit card. Uh, Discover then will try to collect on it. If they can't collect, then they will uh, sell it. They'll charge it off. They sell it to a debt buyer. Let's say the biggest debt buyer in the U.S. is Encore Capital, which owns Midland Funding. Uh, they're usually doing business as Midland Funding. 
and Midland Funding will then try to collect. If they can't collect, then they'll sue you for the debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll sue you in court, and then you have to like respond with an answer document. That's when people come to us, is to do the response. Most lawsuits are filed by big debt buyers, but there are some other players in the space. Like Sometimes the original creditor will bring their own lawsuits, like Capital One, uh, very common. Uh, very commonly brings their own lawsuits. Uh, and then sometimes it's like law firms, like I, like just kind of collection agencies or smaller groups. Yeah. Uh, those are who's suing people. So what turned you on? What turned you on to this problem? Uh, in my first year of law school, I had a, bought a car that turned out to be a lemon. Uh, it died three years after I bought it. Uh, and I needed a lawyer to help me get my money back. And I couldn't find one that like take my case. Called like a bunch of lawyers, or like either they didn't answer their phone, or like they didn't want my case. Uh, and I thought, you know, if I'm in a building full of attorneys and I can't find one, who else out there like can't find an attorney to help them out? Uh, I found out like access to justice is a really big problem, and kind of went from there. There's a lot of things that happened. One, I ended up getting my money back. Just using my 1L legal skills. Yeah. Got all the money back, got like the refund. Uh, and then two, ended up taking a class at BYU Law where we ended up making solo suit with a, it's actually made with like a group of students and a professor. And then I ended up uh, like taking it on uh, full time after that. And we, we made the initial software just to help people out who, uh, needed to respond to debt lawsuit. Wow. So this is really just them responding to the lawsuit. Is that, how does that help them save money? Because the lawsuit is still there, right? They respond to it, but they still have to pay the debt. Right. Yep. So for example, we just had a person like this week that I was working with, um, most most consu- most of our customers just go like through the software, probably even without talking to anybody. But I try to keep close to the customers and like have calls frequently with customers for like research and stuff, see how things are going. Yeah. Uh, one customer I was talking to, uh, she had a debt for twenty six thousand dollars. I believe it was a personally guaranteed. This wasn't a credit card debt, but it was a personally guaranteed business loan mm. that she had. I think for her like nurse practice of some sort and uh, some things happened COVID related I think maybe someone died in her life as well uh, she wasn't able to pay back the the loan so they sued her for it uh, but I mean you know she makes money still and she had a, a bit of savings it seems like she was able to make she's able to respond to the debt so she responded to the lawsuit with our answer service we created her answer, uh, probably had an attorney review it and then filed it for her in court. And then she made an offer to settle on our software. And I think she just made an offer to settle for, I think like $6,000, $7,000 or something like that. And we relayed that to the collector. The collector accepted the offer. Wow. And so significant. she hacked off uh, a bit uh, we on our settlement product we uh, people pay us a 19% commission on the total amount of the debt uh, but even after that and the full settlement amount she, she ended up saving $11,000 uh, so wow that's awesome a lot of savings that's Just great like I, I hear so much of like people getting caught up in legal issues that they're just like, they have no idea what to do with it. And like, this is, this is one very niche example, which is awesome because I think that's probably where every business should focus is their own individual niche. But I feel like in every, there are so many different niches out there where you could have a solo suit type of product. Right for different type of legal issues. And have you thought about, I mean, you're probably hyper-focused just on this, but have you thought about like the different use cases that you could have a product like this in the, in the legal space? Yeah, we have thought about it for sure. Uh, it's amazing how much work it requires to build. Oh yeah. Just like one thing that does one thing. 
Uh, I've certainly thought about it. Um, we've ended up going mostly the route of helping our current customers. So like helping people that are being sued for debt at multiple points in their journey. That's the route that we went rather than going broad. Yeah. Uh, we're helping people more along their journey. Uh, that's because we really want to like fully solve the problem for these people. Yeah. Right. So we started off with just an answer document that was free in Utah only. Right. Uh, we found people outside of Utah. We're always using our site, even though it says it's only for Utah. So we expanded nationally. Uh, that's good to help people being sued anywhere. And then, you know, we found that we'll just generate in the document. People need to do more than that. They need to actually file it in court. Filing it in court isn't like insanely difficult. Only 20% of people would actually like would generate our document, would ever file it. Usually they generate it and then like not be able to file it in court. Yeah. So we offered a service to file it for them, have an attorney review it. Uh, we added a, a couple other additional documents people needed. And what people would usually come back to us asking for, usually people would come and ask for more documents. They're like, well, I need more documents to continue this lawsuit. Um, and we added a couple documents, but ultimately what we saw is like people want to settle. That's really like the ultimate conclusion here is they want to settle it. Yeah, nobody wants to keep it going. Right. And they were just asking us for more documents just so they could keep the case alive so they could settle. And uh, what we've done is we've just cut like straight to settlement because you need to file an answer and then after that you can settle. Yeah. What is your what is your customer look like? What's your what's your average customer look like? Uh, demographic wise or otherwise? Um, good ways to look at it. On the one hand, like our customer base is just a cross section of the US uh, population. Um, it like almost mirrors like the national percentages exactly like as far as ethnic breakdown um, economic breakdown just matches like yeah. however many it's just like it, it, everybody is going to encounter this at some level pretty much yeah like yeah. however many people in the US make over like X percent of people in the US make over $200,000 yeah uh, X percent of our customers, like the same X, uh, make over $200,000. So it's really not like it's people that are low income only coming to us or like of a particular ethnicity or anything like that. That's really interesting because yeah. it, you you would think, um, I guess the average person, what's the average person make in the U.S.? 60K yeah. a household or something like that, yeah. which is way below, I think, what they that's a problem. I think it's lower than, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, say the average person is making 60, say 80 K to be generous. Um, and they're th looking at somebody making 200 or $250,000. And they're like, why is that person in debt? They're making 200, $250,000. But I think like, there's a really interesting issue that we look at where the more people make, they don't necessarily they, like they spend more. Right. And so your spending increases with your your wage and it doesn't matter how much you make. You look at how many people are in Hollywood who have gone broke over the years or sports, you know, athletes, professional athletes. Right. And uh, yeah. And so that that totally makes sense to me. It's interesting. Yeah. It's kind of surprising at first. Right. As I think oftentimes people think initially, oh, if you're being sued for debt, that means you're low income. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly not the case. And the way I sum it, I was like, in order to get debt, you need uh, money. You need credit. In order to get debt, you need credit. In order to get credit, you need money. Yeah. So yeah, like I mean, wealthy people have much more debt than uh, people that aren't wealthy. Have you ever have you ever looked at the problem of the unbanked in the U.S.? A little bit. I'm familiar. Yeah. I wonder how they operate. Like, it's really interesting to me because if you don't have a bank, like there's a lot you can't do or buy. Like, it's hard to even get into debt, you know, without a bank. Yeah. I mean, I've had some you know, crazy experiences in my life. Uh, one of them for, for a while, in like my 20s, I, so I moved to Alaska to work in Alaska. And I think I was banking with, uh, I was banking with Chase Bank. I moved to Alaska and there are no Chase Bank branches in Alaska. 
This was at like one time where you really needed like a local branch, you needed a physical branch still. There's no Chase Bank in Alaska. So I was like, all right, well, that's weird. Uh, but I guess I'll go with like Wells Fargo because Wells Fargo is like the next biggest bank that must have branches everywhere. Yeah. So I get a bank with Wells Fargo and then later I moved to Hawaii and then Hawaii doesn't have any Chase Banks or any Wells Fargo Banks. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to get like a new bank in, Wells Fargo, in, in Hawaii. Uh, but I think when I was there, before I got a new bank account there, I got a, I got paid. I got a paycheck and the company I was working for um, they sent me like a mail, a mail check and it was just like a sketchy looking check it wasn't like a very high fidelity check and I took it and I was like trying to get this check cashed I don't know exactly where to go because I, I didn't have like a bank account yet I went to the Walmart I went to like the Walmart financial services yeah um, I took it there and they take a huge cut they, they'll cash your check, but they take a huge cut to, to cash it. I forget what percentage, but it's quite large. And I go there, and I'm like, ready to pay this. And the lady says, I'm not going to cash your check. <laughs> because it was it was like too sketchy looking. And I was being paid by an East Coast corporation that was like working with some bank like on the East Coast. Wow. They weren't familiar with that there in Hawaii. Uh, wouldn't cash it. And I was like, well, I need a bank account. <laughs> so then I went and like opened up the bank account with someone and I got yeah. it cashed after after like a while. It took me a while to get it cashed. That's crazy. That was crazy. That's crazy. I I, th- I want to say something like five percent. It it might be close to five percent of population in the U- in at least Utah oh. don't have a bank account. Well, it's a lot. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. It's like, what are you doing? What are they doing? Right. I don't know. But it's hard. It's hard. You know, like. You, whether it's immigration, right? And they don't have documentation to get a bank account. And if you don't have a bank account, it's like hard to, or, or whatever it is, they just don't trust in institutions. Right. I think there's a lot of that going on too, but right. you know, that's pretty crazy. Pretty so crazy. let me shift, let me shift here because you had mentioned this is not the easiest thing in the world. Is it the hardest thing that you've ever done is building this company? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of work that goes into it. I know that. Um, it is, it's definitely one of the hardest. I think if you had asked me that a year ago, I would have said, like, no way. It's kind of easy. It's, like, surprisingly easy. Uh, now, currently, I'm like, yeah, it's quite hard. Yep. <laughs> what, it's definitely up there as What are the, the challenges things. that you're you're working through? Uh, current challenges... Current challenges are... I mean, some of them... Um, I mean, a like a, a general challenge right now is just making sure that we are growing every month. Yeah, that's a that's like my main preoccupation, just making sure that we are growing, and we do grow uh, most months by you know a, a significant enough percentage. Um, just want to make sure that we're always growing and that's what's always on my mind and for us it's a, it's a unique challenge because we are transactional our, our business model is a little bit like an e-commerce model and that we're direct to consumer consumer just like buys a thing from us yeah. for the most part for our main product um, and then in our case oftentimes they never need that product again which is a little bit tricky right so uh, they just pay us once. They might not ever need our, our service again. They might have loved it, but they don't need it again because they only need us if they're being sued for debt. Uh, so every month, first day of the month, we're starting over from scratch. Right? We have to get as many customers as we got last month plus uh, an additional percentage. Yeah, I can see how that'd be stressful. Yeah. Is that a lot of marketing that you have going out? Yeah, it's a lot of marketing. I mean, that said, usually our metrics have been very predictable. Uh, usually they're very predictable. Usually there's like a pretty consistent amount of growth every month. But still on like day one, revenue's at, at zero. You gotta get all that money again. <laughs> yeah. What have you learned about yourself through this process? Uh, 
I mean, I've learned a lot about myself for sure. Um, I think one, I mean, one thing is that I think through like the entrepreneur, like the broader entrepreneurial journey, I feel like I learned that I'm a, a terrible employee, like really not good at being employed. Yeah. Uh, I'm a much better most most entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs right? that's that's their that curse, totally, blessing curse everyone totally it. rings true for me i like i don't i think i might have had one job that was like maybe a year most jobs i only held for like six to eight months before before still suit now i've been working on it for three years full time uh, and it's great uh so i learned that about myself and i think the part of the flip side of that um at least the related factors i feel like i am like skilled at being good at like a lot of stuff or being okay at a lot of stuff yeah I'm definitely a jack of all trades I feel like my main skill is that I'm like excellent at being okay at almost everything yeah, yeah. You're, you're married right yeah do you have any kids uh yeah two kids how do you juggle that uh cause you're spending a lot of time building this right yeah. you're, a year ago you've been going on a Three years full time. Year ago, you would have said it's even easy. Right. How are you how are you juggling your your life? Uh, you know, once I get three kids, maybe I'll literally be juggling them, right? Yeah. Because two of them, I want to sit on my lap a lot, right? Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, right now, I mean, I'd say it's I don't I don't find that part to be terribly difficult. Is that primarily due to a supportive wife or what? Yeah, it's definitely a contributing factor. Very grateful for my wife, uh, for sure. She's always been into the entrepreneurship scene and like encouraging of it, really. So she likes the the journey, probably like the excitement of the journey as well. So that's great. Uh, I think I work from home. The company is entirely remote. We're planning on hopefully always being remote. Um, so I don't have a commute. Yeah. So I'm able to spend most of my time either working or at home. I don't have any commute, which I think saves me a lot of time. Uh, and then I... How many employees do you have? Six. Four, four full-time employees, two contractors. Okay. Uh, I'm a big fan of the book uh, Deep Work. Yeah, I think you read that. Yeah, I think we read it together in class, right? When you in that class with uh -huh. me? Yeah, yeah, Tom. Yeah, Tom Peterson. Yeah. Yep, big believer in that. Uh, we had everyone in the company read it, uh, part of our little book club that we do sometimes, and it's good. I think especially for like work from home stuff, and I am a big believer in like fixed schedule productivity, so I try to limit my schedule as much as I can. I've had success doing that uh, up until like recently, really. Uh, where I really just try to work uh, nine hours a day, five days a week. That's yeah. what I do. I try to be hyper-focused while I'm working, get everything I possibly can get done during that time. Uh, and that works, and I feel like I do manage to get a lot of stuff done, but lately there's just been so, so much to do. Like, it's just the fixed schedule needs to be a larger schedule. Adjusted. Because there's so much to do, yeah. Yeah, or more people involved. One yeah. of the two, right? Yeah, I think all of it. There's there's more people. There's more things to do. I think adding this settlement feature in our app uh, just required more uh, work than I would have anticipated. Mm. Like it multiplied all of my work. That makes sense. Yeah, and we launched. We like we officially released it in January, and it's just it's added a lot more work. So prior to this, what was the hardest thing that you've gone through in your life? I like to ask that question because I like to take the lessons that people learn from the hardest things that they've gone through. Um, I feel like uh, the hardest thing ever. Um, it doesn't have to be the hardest. <laughs> you don't have to think that hard about it. It's like just a hard thing, you know? Right, right. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, honestly, you know, I'm a, I mean, I'm a spiritual person, so I think to be sincere spirituality comes up and I mean for me it's just like the, the hardest part of, of life overall is like maintaining a uh, like a belief in like testimony in Jesus Christ yeah I think that 
is by nature a challenge and I don't find it particularly challenging now, but I feel like it has been challenging before. I'm sure it will be challenging again. Probably ebbs and flows. A ebbs bit. and flows, right? Yeah. To maintain like a, a belief. I feel like there's a certain humility that that requires. And from my observations yep. of people that I've known, uh, the more people succeed in life, the harder that humility is to maintain. And the more they question the faith that they once had. That, that's, that's just an observational thing on my part. And yeah. so I think it has to be something that is intentional. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Who, who, who is God to you? Who is God to me? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, God to me is a loving Heavenly Father that um, is like benevolently here to assist me in my journey and at the same time um, like I I hope that I'm here to assist him right to be like an instrument in God's hands Uh, I can kind of see that in uh, your work to be honest like you have people who need help and you're basically just helping them. Like your, your whole premise of finding solo suit is I need help with this. I don't have help with this. This is very stressful for me. Like creating something that, you know, could help people in one small or large way, depending on how big that lawsuit is. Right. And, and I certainly hope that we do help them. Right. I mean, I think about it in terms of like liberating, the captive at times like trying to uh, liberate people from captivity uh, that they found themselves in through like financial means yeah I, I, I think the belief in God is very interesting because I, I fully believe in God but there's a trend in that I've seen throughout my life where people have I want to say I read this somewhere or I heard it somewhere I can't remember the source of it but there's a trend where people tend to not believe in God and then they'll rebound and it happens about every 30 years like that rebound like uh, in the individual's life or in like a societal societal yeah so if you like I have to go back and and uh, actually look at this and see how many people like went to church 30 years ago right and what that you know reported you know, practicing the, a faith or something like that. But if you think about it, that that would be back in like the early nineties or the eighties or something like that, about 30 years ago from now. And I don't know, that could have been like the rebound period from where, you know, people started to like go to church. And I don't know if there's any truth to that at all, but yeah. I do, I do believe that even if people don't believe in God, they're, they're worshiping something. I don't think we can exist without worshiping something. That's well said. Right. Like if it's not God, it's, it's find something else to worship. Yeah. Right. It's something else. Okay. I, you know, it's materialism, it's money, it's power. It's, um, something that you're chasing. Right. That you believe can benefit you in some way. Indeed. Yeah. And hopefully we're worshiping something that makes us better. I hope so. Sure. I don't think that's always the case. Right. So. I think sometimes it's not, Indeed. but Indeed. Well, yeah, I mean, I would imagine, I would not be surprised if, uh, if there were some signs that like spirituality ebbs and flows, uh, on a societal level. Um, there was a, there was a great BYU devotional that talked about that somewhat recently, I think in the last few months. Yeah. I think it was BYU forum. Yeah. A woman laid out some research, I think over the last hundred years of, of, uh, of things, something along those lines. Um, I think it was, it was like a, my understanding was just talking about political division as well as like some aspects of spirituality. Um, but anyhow, yeah. Uh, so did you grow up, goes. did you grow up in a religious family? Uh, yeah, for sure. My parents were both, uh, Latter-day Saints. You're in Utah? Uh, my mom was from, my mom was born in Utah, uh, and she moved out east to be a nanny 
in the East Coast and like Connecticut, like uh, New Haven area. And then my dad is from Connecticut. His parents were uh, baptized into the church in like the 50s, I suppose, yeah. living in Connecticut. Uh, they were kind of like pioneers out there, early members in their area, some of the few. Uh, and then, so I was raised by them, and then we moved out to Washington when I was 10. Very cool. Now I came to Utah. Went to a bunch of places in between, but so you grew, up in, grad so you grew up in Washington. Uh, yeah. What, what? Conne- Connecticut. I was in Connecticut until I was 10, and then moved to Washington. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where in Washington were you? Uh, outside of Seattle, like Covington. Oh, okay. Yeah. My wife is from Washington. That's why I was asking, wondering. Nice. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there. It's a it's an awesome state. Um, I don't I don't wouldn't want to live there now. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> beautiful. We we actually went out and went backpacking in the Olympics. Um, last month and nice. just is gorgeous. The Olympics, huh? Yeah. Fantastic. Well done. Yeah. I always, always try to, uh, always try to find time to swing over to the Olympic mountains from my parents' house whenever I go out there, but it's always so far. It's like a five hour drive. Oh, uh, yeah. the Olympic mountains are amazing. Where'd you guys go? We, I can't remember the trail we went on, but we were just, where was it? I don't even know. There was like this, this trail and there's this, um, it's a pretty popular trail to be honest. I, I just can't remember it. It's, but there's this Valley enchanted Valley. Huh, yeah. We hiked into the enchanted Valley. Nice. I haven't done that one, but I'd love to. Yeah. And there's this like house that was, it's like hundred years old huh. or something huh. and they've maintained it, but it was like used during world war two to be like a lookout post for, you know, any type of planes coming over or whatever. And, you know, really? they, they didn't see anything. Which How many I mean, days were you out there? Uh, we usually go out for like four days or something, oh. something like that. Sweet. Yeah. You've gone there multiple times? Nope. Um, so, we choose a different spot every nice. year nice. for my wife's birthday. Oh. And that's like our tradition for her birthday is we go backpacking. And so like this year we went to the Olympics. Last year we went to Glacier National Park. Oh. Year before that, I think we went to um, Wind Rivers. Up in Wyoming. Fantastic. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, one of my favorite spots to... Uh, one of my favorite backpack trips I've done, I guess, did it like once or twice, is the Olympic coast. Oh, yeah. Lava. Cape Lava? Cape yeah. Lava Island? Really cool. We actually looked at that. It's really sweet. We did. Um, I think the tide wasn't right or something like that yeah. for us to be able to hike like we wouldn't have been able to hike through where we wanted to because the tide was too high sure when we were there it's a beautiful spot yeah i'd love to go into the center of the peninsula though you should i haven't done that one you should it was it was cool uh we, on our way out i'm like i i will probably never be in, like able to do this again and so we just circled the peninsula and did like the whole you tip. drove yeah we drove it's a long drive it was fun though uh, we went up through Forks, uh, okay. and I'm like, okay. I got to send my nieces like a picture of Forks because they love Twilight. Okay. But I'm gonna be honest, that town is so depressing. Like we drove through, it and I'm like, I would not want to live here. Oh, yeah, that's why the books are. It's a super depressing town. There, right? Yeah, there's like nothing. There. <laughs> right. Right. Mediocre pizza, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Right, but like, <laughs> yeah, we went through. But her aunts live on the Sound over on the other side. Nice. And uh, so we went and stayed with her aunts after That's we got good. done backpacking. Um, it was it was gorgeous. And then we got to go out and do some kayaking on the sound and nice. boating and stuff like that. So that was that was a that was a good experience. What what brought you out to Alaska and Hawaii when in your early twenties? Were you working? Was it uh, educational? Um, I was there. It's kind of a crazy journey. Um, I was in. Honestly, I like bounced around. It's I feel like looking back, it's like clear that I could have done nothing but make my own company <laughs> because I was just bouncing around all over the place. Um, I graduated from BYU-Idaho in political science, and then I went and interned for the Anasazi Foundation in Arizona uh, doing I've heard like, of that. It's called a trail walker. Yeah. It's a wilderness therapy program. They're like pioneers in wilderness therapy. I have a friend who did that. Yeah. Yep. yep. So it's great. They have a, it's like this awesome internship program. Uh, so I did that for like eight months and then I went to Washington, D.C., uh, which I had intended to do. I uh, interned for Senator Flake in D.C., who was the senator of Arizona. 
so that was great. He's an awesome guy. Yeah. Cool dude. Cool office. That's great. Um, fascinating experience in DC. And then I was having lunch with the chief of staff, I think, one day in like the Senate lunchroom where you have to wear jackets like they don't let you in unless you have a suit coat. Right. And uh, as we were talking about what we're going to do next, and he's like, you want to you want to do something crazy like go to Alaska? I was like, yeah. Well, I wouldn't know when I'll go to Alaska. And then uh, he connected me with the Republican National Committee in Alaska on the Senate campaign in 2014. Okay. It's quite a while ago. Yeah. So then I flew out to Alaska. Uh, crazy time out there. We we won the race. It was like a pretty contested race that year. Uh, so that was exciting. And then kind of hung out after that and didn't know what to do next. Uh, because like the campaign wrapped up. So then you, you, you could have, you had the option of probably getting into politics at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, more seriously. Yeah. Right. What, what stopped you from doing that? Um, I just didn't know, uh, what to do exactly. I guess I, I don't know. I was kind of torn. So, uh, I went back to my family's house for like Christmas and then I went to Hawaii to study for the LSAT for law school. So I figured yeah. And I like went and lived on this farm. <laughs> so in Hawaii? Yeah, I went and lived on like a farm. It just to me it made sense to go I gotta study for the LSAT because I wanna do law school because that's what a lot of people do after they work in politics for a little while, they go to law yeah. school. Uh and I figured you gotta study somewhere, so might as well move to Hawaii. Uh so I went and lived like hung out on this like hippie farm and was like studying for the LSAT. What and then what island on Hawaii? Uh, Oahu. Okay. Is in Waimanalo area. Yeah. Yeah. With family or friends or who lives uh, out there? How did how did you find this farm hippie farm? It seems like it, I mean it was just me. I respect it. It right? was just me. Yeah. It was, uh, I just don't know how you like found that like opportunity and said I'm there's this farm I'm gonna go live at this farm. So I've been I had interned in Hawaii before during college. Uh, I was like connected with this non-profit out there called the key project really cool place uh uh really sweet place is run by this dude who his name was john uh him his his dad fled poland i think when it was being taken over by the ussr yeah at some point like i guess during transition after world war ii before ussr took over everything I guess he like managed to flee Poland across land and he like met up with some other folks while he was fleeing and they're like, Hey, we're going to Hawaii. You wanna come? And he was like, Yeah, let's go to Hawaii. <laughs> so he like moved his family, ended up in Hawaii, had his kids. Uh I think his dad had gone to Harvard. So yeah. I think he had like American ties. And uh it, yeah, he's just like a really cool guy involved in He's deeply involved in like the keep the keep the country country movement, uh, right. North Shore of, of Oahu. Yep. Uh, so he's been involved in like some legal battles against, uh, I guess like the federal government, I think, or at least the armed forces in Oahu around like not around water rights, around not developing the Kaneohe Bay on the other side of the mountains from Waikiki, uh, keeping that all like undeveloped. Uh, so I worked with him. And then I was, you know, familiar with the Hawaii. I wanted to go back. Uh, so then I went back. Yep. That's cool. Hung out. No, that's great. Yep. And then you went to law school. Did a bunch of stuff. And yep, yep, I did the, did the farm. Then I worked at a zip line for a little bit. Then I worked with the RNC again. The RNC called. Worked with them in Hawaii, which is uh, the bluest state in the U.S. Uh, depending on how you measure it. But... Uh, I think by the time I left, they had like one elected representative in the Senate. And then he died, I think, later. Yeah. Or he left. Uh, so they, they definitely had like an uphill battle uh, as far as winning uh, seats for Republicans in Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. And then I, at that point, I left and went to law school. So I had a fun time on the island. That is fun. Would you <laughs> would you ever go back to politics at this point? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't... Uh, 
if the opportunity arised. For sure. Yeah, we got our hands full on solo suit, uh, but still, you know, maintain maintain involvement. Where do you see the future going with this solo suit? Uh, would you let's ask it, let's ask it this way? <laughs> would you perpetuate this into? being a public company, would you perpetuate it into saying like at this point, you're just kind of narrowed down on your one, your one product slash you have your customer in mind. Would you expand it into other products or would you more likely sell it, um, into another, I don't know even who would buy solo suit. I'm sure there are companies out there or firms out there who would love it. Right. I just don't know who those buyers are. Would you would you rather take this, sell it as a private company or take it public? How what's your exit look like? How long are you planning on staying with the company? Yeah, uh, you know, good question. And I think anyone who I'm not sure how other people feel. I think for myself, I oftentimes have multiple desires that yeah. sometimes conflict with each other. Sure. Right? Like sometimes maybe I want like, uh, you know, maybe I want to eat like a cake, maybe like 40% of me wants to eat a slice of cake. 60% of me actually wants to go exercise. Right. That's, that's, that's human. Yeah. <laughs> right? Is that human? That's great. Yeah. So for me, uh, I kind of think in terms of that and so, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great to have like an early exit on, on solo soup? Other times I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great to take over the world with Solacy and like become like the biggest company that we can become? Yeah. Uh, so sometimes I, I, I move back and forth. Um, I think for me, what, uh, what I think of as the primary uh, vision for us is we want to become uh, the way that people resolve debt uh, disputes in, in the US. Uh, we want to become the way that people do that. And, and for us, that means uh, we want to help everybody who's being sued for a debt. We want all of them to know about SolarSuit. We want all of them to respond with SolarSuit. It's advantageous in pretty much every case to, to respond. Uh, and if they want to settle, which is usually the best outcome, we want all of them to come uh, to us and settle those lawsuits. Mm. Uh, and, and beyond that, um, beyond that, we want people who are, are not being sued to come to us to settle as well, right? You can settle pre-lawsuit uh, as well. It's a very common practice, and we're looking to get into that into that market. There's about 70 million people yeah. who are in collections every year, and we'd love to help all of them settle their lawsuit, settle their their uh, their debts. So at this point, you just stay with the company until you reach the goals that you have for the company, probably. Uh, Say, yeah. let's 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 put it this way. Say right. the company was magically at that point right. of being like the premier solution for everybody who had a lawsuit uh, and you had, you know, it's worth a lot of money, you know, and now you're like, I've done as much with this company as I can do. Right. What would you do next? Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I've definitely thought about it. I think, uh, I mean... For me, I think that uh, I'm not sure. I could imagine a few different paths. One, I could say, well, uh, time to have like a bigger vision and make it do more. Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, I think I am very interested in like the idea generation process around like business models and such. Really enjoy doing that. So I'd be pretty inclined to like see what's like the new business model we can make and how we launch that like as a new startup under the same business. Uh, I'd probably lean more towards that than like starting a new business. I think for me, I'd probably lean more towards just making a single business uh, bigger and better rather than making a new business. Uh, that's probably what I'd lean towards. That's great. And then, but I think some other options, I mean, you know, if I was at that inflection point, uh, certainly, you know, a path that would be considered is like, am I going to go on vacation for the rest of my life? <laughs> right? Yeah. Sounds pretty nice. 
Uh, Sounds nice I, for maybe a month. I, mean, yeah. I, I can do it. I'm a, I'm a big fan of vacation. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, can I, should I get involved and like try to fulfill like my civic duty? Uh, should I try to give back maybe more through like a nonprofit route? Those are paths that I think are enticing that would certainly be considered. What's keeping you here? If you're working remote full time, yeah. you live in Utah, what's, what's keeping you here? Do you just uh, like it? You like Utah? Uh, my wife, my wife, uh, my wife. Your <laughs> wife. <laughs> Your wife. Okay. Um, no, I like, I like Utah. Utah's a great spot. Uh, I think I have had had some aversion to Utah, I think, growing up. Um, but now that I'm here, I mean, Utah is an amazing state. And I do like it. Uh, my wife's parents are here. They live in Morgan. And... Uh, it's not too far, so it's good to have grandparents around, you know, good for the kids to hang out with them. Yeah. I think family is very important. And it's super, it, it's so much easier to raise kids with family around. It is easier to raise kids with family. Yeah. It's better, I think, maybe more enjoyable, at least for me, uh, than I would imagine it would be otherwise. And, uh, you know, family ties are just, family ties are a good thing. Yeah. And I already... I already left Washington, right? So I married, married my wife who lives here, and we are here, so not much reason to leave. No. Yeah. Right. I think that's great. I When I was dating Loren, she wanted to be this, she wanted to be an ambassador. That was her dream goal at the time, right? And I had to, I had to negotiate with her. I'm like, listen, I respect that, and I want to help you do that if that's what you want to do. I just don't want that life. You're moving around every three years. You know, I met an ambassador. I met a couple of them and I gave them, I got their business cards and their contact information and all that gave them to her. And she had a choice to make of whether to go down that path or because I personally enjoy having a home base where it's like, rather than moving every three years to a different place, which I think is very cool if you want to go on vacation to those places or if you want to go live a year in, you know, wherever, at Singapore or whatever. Um, that's great. Have that experience. Come back, you know. But where you're raising your kids and never in one spot throughout their life, I think that's a difficult thing. Yeah, I think for me, I think that geographic stability is underrated. Yeah, I would agree. I totally agree. I really appreciate like the concept of, you know, putting, putting down roots, building serious ties with people and making a real difference in the place that you live rather than having like a transactional experience floating around. Do you feel like the U S in general and Utah, one or the other, um, is becoming more or less entrepreneurial friendly? Uh, as you've gone on this journey, how, how, how friendly is it to starting up companies? Uh, I mean, it seems like it's become much more friendly Yeah. But, uh, by most, by most measures. Um, it seems like it, uh, I think it depends on like which indicators you're looking at and what type of ventures you're looking at. I think that Utah and the U S has become much better for venture backed technology startups. Yeah. Uh, I mean, founders are able to raise money on much better terms now. Um, there's much more like infrastructure to help startups along. There's a much better methodology uh, to help startups along. I think all of that is, is awesome and encouraging for like, people getting into the venture-backed technology startup space. Uh, that said, I mean, you know, travel to another country like a developing country and, uh, you know, you'll, I think we'll see many more entrepreneurs just like on the street, walking around, yeah, being an entrepreneur, selling something. Whereas here in the U S it's, it seems like it's very difficult, like prohibitively difficult to be a small time entrepreneur. Right. It is. Yeah. And, and we get this idea in our mind that if we're going to start something, it has to be huge, Indeed. you know? Right. And which well, is, that, which, which I think right. is admirable, but at the right. same time, I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, it's not necessary. Uh, I think our legal system, uh, encourages that, right? Like I, I think the, 
for 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 startup founders, right? The first, I guess, not just for startup founders, but for people who, who made a company, the first ten million dollars after an exit uh, has a zero tax rate, right? Mm, for example, yeah. so that's like a big incentive. Whereas if you just want to sell hot dogs from the back of your bicycle, going to be prohibitively difficult to get that going because the overhead needed to start up is going to be uh, too high. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how, how helpful has Y Combinator been for you? You got into YC, which is awesome, by the way. Congratulations. I think that's, a, that's an achievement in and of itself. It's a very hard program to get into. I haven't applied to it, but I know um, people have been through it. Has that been a, a huge positive for you? Has it been kind of like, oh yeah, we got some money, got some advice, it was great. Like how how helpful was that? Uh, y Combinator is awesome. Highly recommend it. Uh, great time. Definitely recommend it. Uh, it's been real helpful. Maybe not in the ways that I would have anticipated. I think that... Um, the biggest value adds from YC have been the connection to the investors within their network and then the branding of Y Combinator for the purposes of recruiting as well as talking with other investors. Mm. Uh, it seems to me like for whatever reason, Y Combinator is like the most well-known investor in the world currently. There's and, a, yeah, there's a couple of them, but that, that one's definitely one or two. Yeah. Uh, like we, for example, we have an investment from Kleiner Perkins, uh, their fellowship program. Mm-hmm. And um, Kleiner Perkins is like a, a larger investor in some, I guess, depending on how you measure it, than Y Combinator. Uh, they're like the first venture capital firm. Yeah. Like the inventive venture capital, right? They've invested in Apple, Google. Uh, when I say Kleiner Perkins, most people I talk to don't know who that is. Uh, when I say Y Combinator, uh, much more likely that people know who that is. And uh, especially like for recruiting purposes. It's really interesting. Helpful. Branding is branding is crazy. It's uh, surprising, yeah. But uh, certainly having like YC uh, backing us uh, makes uh, has been like a probably the most helpful factor in hiring people. Yeah. Is, is that how you've gotten your employees then? Yeah, we hired them through the Y Combinator program. They have a, they have a, a website called workatastartup.com yeah. that is, I think, run by Y Combinator. And people sign up there who want to work for a Y Combinator company. Y Combinator companies hire from that site. Uh, it's a great, great thing. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. And just anybody can sign up on that site? Uh, anybody who's looking for your work, yeah. Yeah. Just I'm not to, sure. I'm not sure who can hire. I think it's only Y Combinator companies can hire. I would, on the I would imagine. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I would imagine only y, YC companies can hire. Yeah. But but anybody who's looking for a job who wants to work for a YC company could could go to that. Uh, that's right. Cool. No, yeah. that's that's all. I didn't even know about that site. Yeah, it's a it's a great time. I mean, I, I recommend it to people all the time who are interested in like switching looking jobs for a job, or, especially who want to get into a startup. Yeah. What was that called again? It was hire or uh, work, work for, at a startup.com. Work at a startup.com. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is good. That's a good piece of advice. Cause I, you know, as an entrepreneur, you don't really think about working for somebody else too often other than I don't want to work for somebody else, you know, but a majority of people work for somebody else, you know, and right. people who do start, start companies. Uh, what is it? I was listening to this Alex Hormozy thing the other day and he was like saying spouting off numbers or whatever. He's like, you know, 90% of companies don't make a $2 million dollars. 9% of companies who make it to a million dollars um, don't make it to 10 million or something like that, you know? And so it's like, it's, it's very, it's very uh, small number of people and a very small number of companies who actually are very successful. And so we hear about all these people who are ultra successful, which is awesome, but uh, most people aren't, you know? And so, you know, you, you, you talk to those people and it's like there's nothing wrong with joining somebody like legal or, you know, solo suit in the legal space or there's nothing wrong with joining any other company who 
is actually doing something really cool that you believe in. You don't have to be an entrepreneur um, unless, you know, you won't have it any other way. Then I, you know, encourage people to go out and do that. For sure. Yeah, that's uh, we need all we need all types. For sure. One of the things that he always says on his uh, little videos or whatever that he makes is is he's like, I'm very pro working for somebody else because as long as you can learn something, because there's not very many times where you can get paid to go to school, get paid to learn something. So if you can go get a job doing something that you want to learn how to do better, it's like, why not go, go, go do it and get a job learning how to do something that you want to do. Yeah. it's a good way to look at it for sure. Uh, I'd say so. One of the, one of the best things I think on Y Combinator I think that kind of shows the power of Y Combinator is you do this th- three month program, right? It's their accelerator on the end. Uh, at the end of the program, you have a demo day yeah. where you are pitching to investors. Uh, on that day, we gave, uh, we gave like a one minute pitch because there were so many companies, but it was in front of uh, 3000 investors, like 3000 of the world's best investors. Yeah. Were there. I don't know if there's anywhere else you can pitch to 3,000 investors at once. Be tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know. I didn't go through YC, but I did, I want to say, 150 pitches, not, you know, individually. Right. Right. (laughs) And, uh, And that's a lot of work just to get 150 people on the phone, on different calls. It takes a lot of time, you know, like... You're much more efficient at that than I was. For sure. Good job. Um, One of the things that I've been curious about, and I want to know your thoughts on it, is that in the world of venture capital, up to this point, it seems like it has been fairly free with their giving out money. Do you think that's becoming tighter? Do you think venture capitalists are not investing as much recently as they have previously do you have any indication on that or no uh yeah yeah i think uh i think everyone would agree that they've been investing less lately Uh, at least especially last year i think uh do you think that's a short-term thing or do you think that's more long-term trend uh i think it's a short-term thing um i think uh, i turned to wilson sincini's report on this wilson sincini does a great quarterly report yeah um uh just like trends, especially from their deals, they do a lot of deals, and but yeah, that's a. I think they break it down. They show you like what companies like average valuations, average dollars invested. Uh, I believe twenty. Uh, twenty twenty two, the end of twenty twenty two, I think was. Was low, uh, twenty twenty one was very high, dollars invested, uh, and now it seems like things maybe picking back up a little bit from their low point uh, earlier. It might go back down again, but I think long-term, over decades, I think venture capital uh, money will continue to increase. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. I don't know one way or the other. I just thought it was interesting that, you know, it's going down. And I feel like my gut tells me that... It totally depends on how many, like if we have a recession coming, looming, if we're in one, I don't really know. But like if we have a recession come, how many companies um, can ride that? You know, because there's a lot of technology companies out there who have taken a lot of money who have never turned a profit. And if for some reason the recession hits hard, you know, they could, you know, if venture capital dries up a little bit, they could, they could go out of business and I'd be interested to see kind of what the next dot com type esque bubble does, you know, here coming up. It will be interesting. Yeah. It's going to shake things up for sure. Yeah. And it seems like there will be, uh, yeah, something exciting happening in the future. Yeah. Okay, George, we're about out of time because I know you got to leave. Um, let me ask you this, this, these two questions. And I ask these questions because I think that they're super important uh, to our purpose here yeah. in life. 
and I am curious on your answers. Why are you here? Why are you alive? And what would you die for? Wow. <laughs> They're deep. Sorry. <laughs> Those are deep questions. Yeah. Why am I here? Uh, again, um, uh, you know, being a spiritual being is definitely like a spiritual answer for me. Um, uh, I would say that, you know, one of the most, uh, uh, one of the, one of the most meaningful, I think like radical and life-changing thing that I believe that I wish, uh, I could, like a belief I could share with more people, uh, is that, um, like God, the creator of the universe is my spiritual heavenly father. And he wants me to become like him. He wants to help me to become like him. Uh, to me, that's a transformative belief. And I feel like that's my purpose for being here. Um, I think I, yeah. I don't want to gloss over that. To believe that God is literally your, your father is to believe that you are the brother of Jesus Christ is to believe that you have divine heritage, is to believe that you are going to perpetuate your learning and growth, not just here on earth, but eternally. That's huge. That is huge. Solo suit is not anywhere near, <laughs> you know, is, as, as impressive as that is, it's not anywhere near what that belief does for you, I feel like. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's, uh, That's awesome. Right. Uh, you know, I know Tim Ferriss asks on his podcast, uh, like, what would you put on a billboard? Yeah. Uh, that's what I put on the billboard for sure. Just that, that belief. That's cool. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, very meaningful for me. Uh, what would I die for? Wow. Um, I don't like the idea of dying. <laughs> don't. Don't love it. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, let me a self-preservationist. Let me be a. Let me be a. Little bit of a. I don't know. Pessimist here. I don't think you're going to make it out of this life. Wow. Without. <laughs> I think we're all going to go through that. <laughs> right. That channel of death at some right, point. Right. But. Um, my my wife likes to say that we will be twinkled, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, I think that. Uh, you know, it's the, the basics, like the core things are what I'm willing to die for, right? which is uh, my family. Well, I will die to protect my family and for their well-being and uh, for my beliefs. Right? That is what I'm willing to die for. Your beliefs, your morals, principles. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. George, I've loved this. This has been great. Um I really appreciate you coming and sharing that. For sure. I, I think that if there is a, if there's anything that we do in life, whether it's start up a company, um, whether it's go and eat a piece of cake or work out or whatever you choose to do in that at that juncture, I have the belief that we should be doing what we do out of love, and I can see that in you. I feel like. I don't know you very well, just mostly in passing. And this is the longest conversation I think that we've had, but I feel like what you do, this is the vibe I get. You do out of love. You do because you want to help people. You do because you love God. You do because you love your, your family. And I think that's very admirable and very cool. Appreciate that, Sean. So Appreciate that. we can end it there. Appreciate it, George. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you.